0: Welcome into the DNVR Rockies podcast brought to you by DraftKings Sportsbook. Now when you place a $5 pregame money line bet on any NBA game and your team wins, you're going to get $150 in free bets with code DNVR only on DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. I am your host, Patrick Lyons, and joining me today for the first time officially in studio with all the bells and whistles that are very distracting and are very appealing it's the man, the myth, the legend from MLB.com, Thomas Harding. What's going on, Thomas?
1: I'm feeling good. I'm feeling clean and happy to be here. This is a nice place you got here. All the stuff around, but um, nice little bar down there. Maybe I'll have to swing in at some point, point and sample some of the fare, huh?
0: Oh, absolutely. The Bones Highland Burger is the thing that I'm, I, I jones for the most sushi-grade salmon. Although, I don't, do you
1: do sushi, do you do salmon? Uh, yes. You do? Okay. I don't do cooked salmon. I only do... I only do the seared or the raw salmon. Interesting. I never do. I mean, you know, you cook a salmon and all this salmon stuff comes up. It's like, <laughs> it, 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 it like forms this ooze on it. it oh, there's an really ooze. It's really bothersome. But no, so we're talking sushi grade, right?
0: Oh, yeah. Yeah, our, our chef Daniel uh, has worked with the Nuggets before and cooked for Carmelo, Jokic, you know, all those guys. So uh, nothing but the best, uh, which is fitting because we've got nothing but the best today. Here, uh, with you here on the show. We're gonna talk some uh, some Rockies business. Their farm system's looking really solid. Got a couple guys maybe set to have a breakout season in 2023. We're also gonna learn about you uh your career, your side hustle,
1: as it were, as a uniform designer. <laughs> <I'm> a <hobby. laughs> no, you don't like side hustle? <laughs> side hustle sounds really weird. But... <laughs> um but but
0: we should start, of course, with uh with the Todd Father, Todd Helton. Currently right now, uh, he's trending upward, 52% of the vote last year. Uh, every person that has ever received 50% or more of the vote uh, by the BBWAA has been uh, placed in the Hall of Fame, uh, other than some of the recent PED guys uh, or the, the recent batch of guys that, that have come off the ballot. But uh, right now, uh, according to Ryan Timido at not Mr. Tibbs on Twitter— Scott Rowland uh, leads the group at seventy nine point one percent, and Todd Helton at seventy seven point six percent right now on Wednesday morning. That's a good place to be right now for Todd.
1: That is a good place to be. Although generally, when you get toward the end, the percentages come down. There are a lot of um, folks that don't release their ballot before it uh, before it's fi- I guess the announcement comes. <clears throat> but yes. I think that if you look at this year, a couple of things. Number one, I think Larry Wal- Walker getting in did help Todd Helton. And I think that because the ballot is not as crowded right now, yeah. a lot of the voters can really take a good look at Todd Helton. It is very easy to say, oh, he played in Colorado, the altitude, whatever, um, the area he played in. He had 49 home runs. Then it went down because of the injuries. And you can just basically kind of give a um, short sh- shrift to it. But now... The, with, with all the numbers that are out there and with the ballot not as crowded and, uh, frankly, with a lot of the ballots being released to the public, I think a lot of the voters, they really put in the effort, but they want to make darn sure. And when you start digging into those numbers, as we had a story in MLB.com written by my colleague, Manny Randhawa, those numbers show a Hall of Famer. I've written that before. A lot of people in Denver have written that before. But I think now that, now that Walker is in... I think it helps. Jay Jaffe, who does kind of the Hall of Fame rating system, the Jaws system. Um, he certainly looks at Todd Helton as a Hall of Famer, even if he doesn't get in immediately. So I think that, that we're going to see Todd Helton in Cooperstown soon.
0: Yeah, Barry Bonds, Roger <laughs> Clemens, Sosa, all those guys, they're, they're kind of disruptors or they're, they're distractors, as you said, and it takes away that attention from other guys uh, down on the ballot. I mean, you saw Fred McGriff finally getting into the Hall of Fame. Uh, through one of the veterans committees. Kenny Lofton, a guy, he never even got 5% of the vote. Say what you will about whether he deserves to be a Hall of Famer. There definitely should be a very long conversation about it. Uh, I think he's a Hall of Famer in my book, but guy didn't even get 5% of the vote because of those distractions. And like you said, voters are able to dig into the numbers now a little bit more, probably treat Todd Helton a little more fairly, uh, partially because of of Larry Walker. And right now, he uh, he already has of the, uh, I forget the exact number of votes that, Uh, have been made public. It's not a a ton uh, of the 400 or so that are expected to uh, be placed, but already uh, 11 voters have submitted their ballots uh, that have selected Helton this year and didn't have them previously. So again, everything is kind of trending upwards for him.
1: Well, I think that helps that right now there's not an Adrian Beltre or an Ichiro on the ballot this year. So there's not that clear first timer. And I do think that um, some voters don't want to turn in a blank ballot uh, and and don't want to just throw away their votes. So I think that Helton is probably getting a lot more attention than he has in the past, but it's attention that he deserved based on what he did during his career spent entirely here in Colorado.
0: Yeah. For anyone that didn't submit (coughs) ballots or wanted to submit a blank ballot uh, in protest, if you will, of, you know, the, the, players attached to performance-enhancing drugs, most of those guys are gone. They're off the ballot. A-Rod's still there. We know uh, Carlos Beltran, totally different situation with the sign-stealing scandal uh, with the Astros. But regardless, you say, okay, hey, th- these are all guys on the list not attached to any of those things. They're ballplayers. They deserve uh, some of the vote. As you pointed out, Manny Randhawa, great article uh, that just went up, six reasons why Todd Helton deserves to be a Hall of Fame, And within those six reasons... There's like a hundred more reasons <laughs> why right. he deserves to get in. And I'm, and I'm hoping that Manny had the magic touch with Larry Walker, you know, writing uh, his great book, Blake Street Bombers, available on Amazon.com, Wish we, we could put a link maybe uh, in the description, something, uh, okay. help him sell a couple more books. But, uh, he kind of wrote that, that definitive piece to really push Walker's cause out there a little bit more, uh, and get voters to, to pay more attention. Uh, and he's done the same again on MLB.com with this most recent piece.
1: Uh, Yes, and it's funny, too. I think that if you go back and look in real time, a lot of us here in Denver thought Helton, even before Walker as a Hall of Famer, Walker did not spend his entire career here. I do think that um, some of the injuries Walker had in real time, a lot of people kind of looked askance at him. Mm. But I I think at the end of his career, when you look, look at that body of work, that was a great body of work, and a lot of voters studied it. And made their changes on that I mean it's funny like you'll hear these offhand things and no offense but it's often you know the, almost like radio type or these type things where guy didn't get any better because he didn't play, you know because <laughs> he hasn't played since then but no you have you you keep having chances to really look at a career and the more information you get the the more you learn as you grow maybe you make you change your mind about a player
0: it's, it's true of like the veterans committees where they go back and they look in the 20s, 30s, whatever it is, uh, and they say, oh, you know what? We kind of missed this guy. We didn't realize he was a revolutionary for the time. He deserves a little bit more recognition. It's nice that uh, the players that we're talking about, including Todd, they're still around to you know, possibly see the, the benefits of that kind of rethinking uh, in, in some of those ways. Uh, Helton obviously has got the hardware with the uh, five All-Star Game appearances, four Silver Sluggers, uh, three Gold Glove Awards. Missing the MVP, uh, and Manny writes about that in the year 2000. Of course, uh, was beat out by Jeff Kent of the Giants, despite the fact that you know Helton uh, had a had a much better wins above replacement, 8.9 to 7.2. Then again, in the year 2000, we weren't talking about wins above replacement. Uh, that, that was not a common statistic 20-plus years ago at that time.
1: Yeah, and let's face it, it went down to the Rockies. That was my first year on the beat here. The Rockies finished 81-80, and 80, which actually was a winning season, but it certainly <laughs> was not in um, contention, and the Giants were a much better team with Kent and Bonds together, and I think that um, Bonds clearly made Kent better. uh, Helton clearly made other players better. I mean, he had Larry Walker on that team, Jeff Cirillo, guys like that. Cirillo. So it it was actually a very good offensive team, but Helton was the one that made it go, and I think he had 42 home runs. The thing that I will always remember about that season, well, there are two things. They both involved the Atlanta Braves. The first was Kelton, in August, in August of that year, actually hitting the 400 mark during the season. It was in August. And, I mean, that was something I'm like, this is my first year on the Rockies. Man. I can see history here, although uh, Todd, Todd didn't expect to hit 400, 400. No one else did. But in the final game of the season, they're down in the ninth inning in Atlanta. John Rocker, if you remember him, was pitching for the Braves. And he was at the top of his game. He, he was – um, now there, I think there was at that time some controversy surrounding him, but he was a dominant closer. Chipper Jones commits an error in the ninth inning, and it allows Todd to come up and hit a home run that I'm not sure is landed. I'm not <laughs> sure it's landed, and to me, that marked the end of that of that era of the Braves. The Braves. Bowed out in the playoffs pretty quickly. And and I go back to that Helton home run. I remember the hush over at Turner Field. I remember just the look on the Braves' faces like, this is the most dominant closer in the game, left on left. And Todd Helton hit this ball that should be somewhere in orbit now. And the, so those are, those are two of the big things I remember from that 2000 season.
0: Makes me think of the Tolia home run against <coughs> Kenley Jansen, also uh, in Atlanta, kind of uh, with that symmetry. Yeah, that... Uh, that's obviously a big spot. You're right. That uh, was a critical moment for for Atlanta's dynasty in that. In that 2000 season, uh, he won the slash line triple crown. Again, right. very nerdy statistic kind of thing, but you should be aware of it. Uh, led the National League in batting average, on-base percentage, and slugging percentage. Went back and found out. It's only happened 48 times, so more than the real triple crown of Batting average, home runs, and RBI. Did Larry
1: Walker win one? Uh, I believe he did, too. At least one.
0: 48 times uh, it's happened. So, again, still incredibly rare for it to have ever gone down. Do you know who won the first ever triple crown? You shouldn't know this. No one should actually know this. So this is kind of rhetorical. No, I don't know. Because it's funny. Uh, 1880 for the Chicago White Stockings of of the National League. So, precursor to the Cubs. Piano legs gore that's a great baseball name that's a great name.
1: baseball name yes piano legs piano legs. i mean talking about <laughs> upper body strength and nimble legs piano legs gore that's beautiful
0: that's, that's it that's the guy by the
1: sh- way just and, and, and as an aside to yeah. that if you ever find old video go back and look at a young babe ruth mm. in fact i think his listing is somewhere around 185 pounds this is a guy that, yeah, a lot of the video was later and you saw the, the gut or whatever. This was a great athlete he was. Mm-hmm. You know, there was one World Series that ended with him being thrown out trying to steal second base. I mean, <clears throat> this was an all-around great player. And I don't know why I went there. I guess when you go to Piano Legs, you go to Bruce. <laughs> huh?
0: I like it. Improv, going with the flow. <laughs> yes, and here's another guy with uh, with, with tiny skinny bowling that's pin right. legs. <laughs> uh, that's fantastic. Yeah, uh, Manny also points out in the article that you know, the thing that is always held against Colorado Rockies players, and it's it's slowly starting to die away, but, you know, if, if you want to use it against them and say, well, you play half your games at Coors Field, there's a lot of added benefit to that, but he had an 855 OPS away from Coors Field, better than Hall of Famers like Dave Winfield. Eddie Murray, Ricky Henderson, Tony Gwynn, Al Kaline. So even if you just look at that, that puts him you know, in, in the range of, of a Hall of Famer. And as you point, pointed out before, Jay Jaffe, uh, a guy who writes for Fangraphs, come up with the uh, the Jaws system of, of basically ranking uh, players at various positions and, and see what their Hall of Fame credentials would be. Todd Helton is 15th uh, best, uh, according to Jaws, at first base, so better than Eddie Murray again there, Hank Greenberg, George Sisler, Bill Terry, Killerbrew, Fred McGriff, Orlando Cepeda, just to name a few guys. So the resume is there for Todd Helton to be in Cooperstown very, very soon.
1: There's no doubt about it. And when we go back to the course Field Factor... Um, I, I want to bring up something that was brought up actually on the Nuggets telecast the other night, was, you know, when Aaron Gordon had that grand sl- that, that, um, slam dunk that I think you're going to be seeing that forever. But anyhow, Richard, you can
0: see that in the DNVR locker. Uh, no doubt. We got a shirt on sale, actually, that just came out based <laughs> on that. So very timely uh, that you point wow, that out. I,
1: I helped you with the uh, little, Bottom line there. No, but during that telecast, Richard Jefferson, who was doing color, and he had played for the Nuggets, he talked about teams coming into Denver feeling um, the effects of the, of the altitude, but he also said that when the Nuggets went on a road trip and they came back, they felt like the road team. Even in basketball, I mean, in baseball, you have that added thing of how the ball acts differently. I mean, this is a different place. And a lot of people, they don't want to give it the thought that that it probably deserves because, let's face it, the Rockies haven't been a contender enough for people to even look at it that way. But it is a real thing. And the core's hangover is not just, oh, you hit well and you're an inflated player at home and on the road, that's who you really are. The problem is you never play in a normal atmosphere because when you play a homestand here, the road is not normal. (coughs) After you come off the road, the home is not normal. So those are things you have to put into, uh, take into account. Does it excuse bad baseball? No, it does not. But when you're looking at a great player, like Todd Helton, and for him to put up the numbers that he did to compare to Hall of Famers, dealing with that for an entire 17-year career, the man is a Hall of Famer.
0: No doubt. Yeah, you you don't have to convince me. Even look at his on-base percentage on the road, too. 386. So... Again, he's, he's not getting the benefits of those bloop singles in a very large outfield. It also shows, got a lot of respect from opposing pitchers. Now, again, some of that had to do with maybe the, the guys that were around him in the lineup. You know, Larry Walker was there for a period of time. Uh, but even still, that, that kind of respect all throughout his career of, you know what? Todd's a guy that can do some damage, uh, even late in his career, that bit of respect. So he's getting on base, uh, on the road, again, these are numbers better. You can check it out on MLB.com. Manny Randau wrote all about it. Rod Carew, Gwyn, Honus Wagner, Willie Mays, Eddie Matthews, Joe Morgan, Tim Raines, Vlad Guerrero. Todd Helton has a better on-base percentage on the road than all of those guys.
1: Yeah, and I, I could go on, on and on <laughs> about him, but let's say that there's some young player out there who's logged on to the DNVR podcast here. Yeah. Um, the thing about Todd Helton And why he had such a high on-base percentage was he was as aggressive a hitter as you have ever seen. He Mm -hmm. fouled off a lot of pitches that maybe he couldn't put into play, but he was aggressive. You walk by intimidating the pitcher out of the strike zone. I think a lot of the emphasis on on on-base percentage has caused a lot of folks to think, I'll just stand there and hold the bat on my shoulders, and I'll take four pitches and walk. Um, And really... They instruct, like at the younger levels, high school down, umpires to give you a little bit bigger strike zone and make people swing the bat. So kids out there, swing the bat. Your mama paid a lot of money for it. Swing the bat.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That, that's that's a great point with, uh, with Elton there and, and, and everything he's done in his career. It's uh, could, could be this summer. Could be his second inductee in, in three years, which would be uh, wild to see what happens. We'll definitely continue monitoring where his votes are at, as you pointed out early on that uh, the the ballots that don't go public are a little bit more conservative. They've got less names on the ballot. forget what the, uh, what the percentage is. Usually you probably take like a 3 to 5% dip, maybe even a little bit more uh, from what you get to see public facing uh, once you include those private ballots. So uh, we got a way to go until January 24th.
1: I believe is that, that the, is the case. And the magic day. All I, all I know is I want to go back to Cooperstown because I went for the first time with Walker and the thing that stand one of the things that stands about out about that trip <laughs> i am driving from the albany airport to cooperstown coming across the road is a porcupine <laughs> that i had never seen and it was like wow th- this incredible experience just walking watching this porcupine kind of bounce across the street a little slower maybe than I would have expected, but with all those spikes, then it's fine. But then leaving Cooperstown after a wonderful weekend, I saw a porcupine roadkill. So it was like I was going into this enchanted place, and then coming out, I was introduced back to reality by a dead porcupine. But I want to see the live porcupine again.
0: There you go. I like that. Yeah, Cooperstown is a absolutely beautiful place. Did you have to stay in Albany? Or are we able to find something nearby? No, we nearby? we have,
1: um, and I stayed with a number of MLB.com colleagues at a house there in there in Cooperstown. It was wonderful. Absolutely nice. wonderful.
0: Yeah, it's it's a it's a whole big thing. You, you got to do it once in your life. You got to go to Cooperstown once in general. I I went in February in the middle of winter once. It, I. I've gone there many times, but I went once in the winter to avoid the crowd, and it it was not the same. It was like a ghost town. It was, it was actually kind of sad. As much as I think a lot of people probably don't prefer to be around crowds, you want to be with the crowd on induction weekend. People are there. There's buzz. You're seeing all kinds of weird, strange, obscure jerseys. There's the Hall of Famers are signing autographs everywhere. There are non-Hall of Famers signing. So, I mean, you love Todd Helton, and he gets in. Uh, there's going to be some of his teammates that are going to be signing at, at various businesses, all down a, a, a one light main street. It's yes. basically two blocks. It's absolutely beautiful. So uh, we hope if it doesn't happen this summer, I'm thinking 2024, summer of 2024. I hope that's, I hope we get our answer by that. Yeah.
1: I think that was when I was at the winter meetings, that was one of the predictions that was thrown out that he may not get in this time, but he yeah. may get in next year. But, let, 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 let's get that out the way now yeah. and let's, let's all go to Cooperstown, have a good time. That's let's celebrate. It, it was great because you know, Cooperstown is kind of out of the way for me. I'm not from that area of the country, I, and, and it's not where I would go on a road trip, so I'd never been there. I'd been to the Football Hall of Fame mm. um, multiple times in Canton, Ohio, and, and I grew up in West Virginia and one state over, so I was able to get there. Um, I've been to the Hockey Hall of Fame in Toronto which was also a great experience, even though you're going into a, a basement of a mall, oh, which wow. is really strange. Yeah. That's weird. But you, you talk about the Cooperstown experience with no one there. I had that experience at the Canadian Football Hall of Fame in <laughs> Hamilton, Ontario. I was literally the only person in there, and I I, I must have learned more about that league and its stars just Basically, because I was the only one, I could ask a question or two. I could spend as much time as I wanted.
0: Are you sure that you're just not the only person who's ever been there in general, or are there people who no, go no, to the Canadian hey, th- football? Th- hey,
1: that's that. That's a great league. The Grey Cup is older than the National Football League. So go Argonauts. I'm I'm all about the args. That's right. And what what was the quarterback Chad Kelly from from Ole Miss, the former Bronco, and he led them to the Grey Cup this year. I'm actually watching that just. Because those games there, I would think that six out of every ten Canadian Football League games, maybe seven out of ten, are the most awesome things you've ever seen. (laughs) Because you see really weird stuff. The other few are just total duds. (laughs) But most of the games are good. I I, we started with Todd Helton. I was hoping we would. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, how did we get get here? Well, I I was hoping that people
0: would get to know you a little bit better. Got the West Virginia business out of the way, where where it all started. You know a lot about the CFL, big EPL, big soccer guy as well. So you've uh, and and we'll get into the uniform business as well as, as you mentioned the uh the aaron gordon we got the shirt the a air shirt uh it's it's beautiful looking absolute fire I, i've already ordered mine uh you can get that at dnvrlocker.com and if you are a diehard there it is right there look how beautiful that is oh wow it looks like i mean i wouldn't say that looks anything like the air jordan of course not that's uh we wouldn't do anything like that. But you got you know, the double you know A, A for You know what it looks Aaron? like?
1: If you could put that back up. Can you put <laughs> that back? You know what it looks like? It looks like if you watch the NBA in the 1970s, uh-huh. the intro on CBS. All of you go to YouTube when you're off of here and look <laughs> that one up where these lines and figures are yeah. playing basketball. And, and they had one of the awesome funky 70s themes. Yeah, the NBA on CBS—you see the best in basketball. That's what that T-shirt reminded me of. It took me back.
0: It's funky. That's that's a compliment. Yes, it's funky. It's very funky. Uh, And if you, I live for the funk. I die for the funk. You know. (laughs) uh, you got uh, if you are if you are a member if you're a diehard that's that's what we were called around here if you are a diehard you actually can get twenty percent off that shirt you get fifteen percent when you're down here uh, hanging out with Thomas or myself at the DNVR bar on the corner of Colfax in York twenty percent off all of our tailgates our party buses uh, you name it. Uh, so many great benefits. We also have access to the Die Hard Only Discord where we can say some things that maybe we're not allowed to say on the podcast or uh, on Twitter, but uh, we can say them uh, in the privacy of our own Discord. Uh, make sure you're checking out the Christmas Ale by Breck Brew as well as their Nice List sweepsakes. Thomas, were you on the Nice List this year? I don't think I've been on any list in a long time. <laughs> I, that was a loaded question. I, I liked your pause of like, uh, I'd rather not say what list I was on. But you know what? You could still potentially uh, get involved in this huge holiday giveaway because Breck Brew man, they were giving away tickets all throughout the Stanley Cup playoffs. Every game, even in the finals, they were giving away tickets at breckbrew.com. Uh, and if you want some Christmas ale or, or anything that they've got going on, the Avalanche Ale, Broncos Country uh, IPA, uh, it's fantastic. You can uh, go to the Breck Beer Locator at breckbrew.com. And, of course, the fans, their tradition. Thomas, I know you're all geeked up. This is another one of your times of the year. No baseball, but it's the thrilling college football bowl season. Uh the action is, is far from over. My go-to for betting on college bowl season is DraftKings Sportsbook. Right now, uh, it's the top-rated uh, top sportsbook in the U.S., as we know. And all you got to do is bet a $5 pregame money line bet on any college team to win. Even if it's a major favorite, they don't care because they want to give you $150 in free bets. If that team wins, you get the same game parlays. So you want to stack two, three, or four different events in the same game. Well, that just means you're going to get an even bigger payout. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use code DNVR. New customers can bet $5 for a pregame Moneyline bet on any college football game. And if that team wins, you know you're going to get $150 in free bets. And that's with code DNVR. Only on DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of college football. Minimum age and eligibility restrictions apply. See show notes for details. Thomas, will we ever see a bowl game at Coors Field? I would love to see that.
1: Is it could it happen? That would be interesting. I would interesting it would be. at the least. Although I will say, so a guy I grew up with, um, he was a wide receiver at Wake Forest, mm-hmm. and I remember him saying because they ended up having a pretty good year in '79. They went to the Tangerine Bowl <laughs> in Orlando, played okay. LSU. But he was like, "I just hope we don't get invited to the Garden State Bowl." If you remember that, they had the Garden State Bowl. It was in the Meadowlands. He's like. When you get the bowl season, you want to go somewhere warm. You do not want to go to New Jersey and freeze to death. I mean, I, if they have a bowl game at Coors Field, I just hope it's one of those days, like today out there in Denver, yeah. that's just absolutely wonderful, rather than like last week in Denver, which was uh, difficult, let's say.
0: I could take certain umbrage with you uh, disparaging New Jersey, but I'll just, uh, that was in East Rutherford. Uh, that was a distant East Rutherford. It's not New Jersey,
1: it's... It's where I think Rutgers was in the bowl game one year and I thought these guys have the home ice advantage because it was frozen.
0: <laughs> yeah. Uh, no, new, yeah. East uh, midlands is, uh, is is not a great place to be uh, at that time, this this time of the year. But yeah, Colorado, we get those nice days. So uh, I think that'd be fun if we saw a bowl game there for that. Uh, a lot of articles over on MLB.com that you're writing, winter meetings, you know, uh, always an interesting time. Uh, you recently uh, had a little blurb there about possible breakout candidates uh, this season for the Rockies. Brendan Rodgers, he broke out in 2022, as we kind of expected him to. It seemed like after a really bad April, kind of uh, got lost a little bit in September. There's room for even more growth and even
1: more breakout next season. Yeah, I, I look at him as a guy mm-hmm. that um, you look at the last two seasons. There are parts of them that are really good. Yeah. He, there were some struggles in there. Um, as you settle in, if you, if you recall, I guess 2021 was really his first year as a regular in the major leagues. There is no reason why he can't put together the type of year that makes you a breakout player. I mean, granted, um, he got the votes for the Gold Glove this year. Um, the, the folks that look at all the stats, the Fielding Bible They gave him the overall best second baseman in baseball. And there's still a lot of room to grow there. I mean, I I have watched a guy that went from probably a little bit below what you want for a major league or two. Hey, this guy can play the position. Now, is he DJ LeMayhew? I mean, we were spoiled by basically the best second baseman of that generation. He's not that guy right now, but who knows? With the... Banning of the shift and the and, and being forced to use all of your range, maybe he does get to another level as a second baseman. But um, I think offensively is where he can really pick up. There's no reason to believe he can't hit 300 in the major leagues, and no reason he can't believe, be, you, you. No reason he can't end up in the 20s, upper 20s, and home runs.
0: The defensive part is is really interesting, and and you're right again. Uh, He he almost can't play any better uh, than he did this last year, winning the gold glove and uh, getting the fielding Bible award there for best second baseman. So those numbers might be the same, but it might just be more valuable again that kind of same production. Like again, if, if you could have a uh, if you had hit thirty or more home runs last season, that was pretty valuable. With home runs being down just a little bit, uh, and, and the ball not not having as much juice in it, maybe uh, uh, as in previous seasons. But because of the shift, and because of uh, I saw something about like how many diving plays that he made at second base. A guy who's a former shortstop, so he should be able to have that range. Go to his left. Uh, it's going to the right. I think that. Uh, he's had a little bit more difficulty with or, or trouble with, with second base being there. So going to the, his left, uh, I think he's really a lot more comfortable with that. So he's going to be stealing a lot of base hits from, from guys, particularly those, a lot of those left-handed hitting Dodgers. So that could be even more valuable in, in helping the Rockies this season. Well,
1: it was interesting because um, we go back to, and I remember I mentioned this in the story. I didn't put myself in there, but I was looking at some of the stats on fan graphs. And he was leading all of baseball in defensive runs saved at any position. remember yeah. bringing it up to him, and even he didn't know that. I mean, it was happening in front of us. I didn't know it. He didn't know it. Buddy didn't know it. But then what I did, I actually went in, and I looked at 20, 30, 40, maybe even more than that of his place. And I thought he was a much better second baseman than I saw And the thing, the, the, the year before. The thing that I saw that was different was, at key parts of the game in in 2021, you would see him not make the exchange on the double play. You would see him not quite get to a little grass-cutter ground ball. Last season, you started seeing him get to those. So we're talking about a guy that's actually getting better, and I think some of the doubt on him came up. In early in April and May, where I think he had like seven errors in in like yeah. a three three week period, right? And that happens a lot. I mean, you go back. I, I think Nolan Arenado had a five error month or something like that when he was here. <clears throat> Those things happen. So when I look at fielders, I don't just sit there and count errors. I think that's lazy. You, you really have to kind of pay attention. Where are they when the pitch is thrown? Are they anticipating something? And that's what I started seeing out of Brendan Rogers. So. Uh, and, and like I say, I'm not looking at D.J. LeMahieu yet. D.J. LeMahieu, it seemed like he knew where the pitch was going to be in the zone, where the hitter was going to hit it, where the runners were going to be before the pitch was ever thrown. And But that's where Brendan Rodgers is trying to get. And if he gets there, that's a great thing.
0: Yeah, the more experience he gets, the more he'll be familiar with the hitters and say, OK, I know. Actually, I'm going to lean a little bit more this way. Uh Maybe maybe he disagrees with the scattering report because he just knows instinctually. I need I need to cheat a little bit more uh, in this moment, uh, and so that's going to be a benefit. Talking with him late in the season, you know, he said like, "Yeah, I, I, you got to learn second base. Uh, when you're playing shortstop, you're feeding the ball to the left. Now he's feeding the ball to the right into second base. So it's all of those things, like you said, late in the game in 2021, he's thinking about his flip. He's thinking about the feed going into the shortstop rather than the actually you know picking it up, digging it out of the dirt." And that's going to lead to an error. He wasn't doing that quite as much this, this last season. And that award, again, is going to give him that much more confidence to build upon his 2022. And since
1: we're going off on tangents, let me bring up a DJ LeMayhew thing. Tangent away. This, <coughs> this is what I'm talking about um, at that position. In fact, when he went to the Yankees and they started moving him around, I think he dropped a fly ball like a pop-up while playing first base in the National League Championship Series. You don't take the best second baseman of your generation and put him at another position when you really need it the most. But we're in Arizona one day, and he realizes, I mean, this is called knowing the rules. There is a ground ball. He charges it, but he notices the runner isn't paying attention. Now, under the rule, until the fielder gets the ball, it's the runner's responsibility to avoid the fielder. So DJ made sure that his path took him right into that runner. Then he picked up the ball. He didn't have a he didn't have a play at first at at second base, but he throws it to first. But the umpire has ruled the runner out for um for obstruction. No wait a minute. uh, now I've gotten obstruction and interference for interference, interference yeah, because yeah, because of, of the runner interference, sure. the fielder obstruction. But right. DJ LeMahieu made sure he knew the obstruction interference wow. rule to that degree. And I remember turning to the umpire supervisor and I'm like, did he really do that? And <laughs> the, and, and the umpire supervisor's like, this guy knows the rule book backward and forward. This is the type of player that you want to develop in your system. This is the type of player that um, Brendan Rodgers, and I've talked to him a number of times, wants to grow up to become.
0: Yeah, those kind of plays, again, it, it, maybe that's a regular season game. Might not be in a huge <laughs> moment, whatever it is, fine. But if you, can, if you can get that kind of a play to work out in your advantage, really when it matters, late in a game where, where you need a win or in the postseason, you never know when that can, that can come in handy. And so uh, you're right, having those kind of abilities. And, and the more you're a seasoned veteran, the, the more likely that's going to happen. So that's, that's exciting to see that Rodgers you know, can do it both offensively and defensively and break out next I season. I think
1: offensively he still has a ways to go yeah. in consistency. But if it shows up, then he's a, he's a bit of a force. In fact, um, that's the problem with the Rockies is that you look all around the field and guys either have to rebound or take the yeah. next step. I mean, there's not that point to a guy and say, this guy had a great year. And we're expecting him to build on it. It's all over the field, and that's a lot to ask in this division. That's a lot to ask. Period.
0: Yeah. No. Very true. Another guy who could break out in the power department, uh, Randall Grichik. I, I just recently started hearing a lot about this Marucci facility down in Louisiana, and I have you know, correct me if I'm wrong. So the long long and short of it is Marucci. I guess got involved in like golf because I don't necessarily remember them making too much baseball equipment. Um, but got involved in golf and, and like the grips for uh, you know your clubs and said, hey, we can kind of maybe take some of this technology, bring it over to bats. And so now everybody and their mother is going down there. Coincidentally, I think the link that uh, you had in your article of Gritchick, you scroll up, the next one showed Trevor Story. And then coincidentally, the next one after that showed Nolan Aaron out. I think they are all there at separate times. But still... They went down there to get fitted for you know, maybe a, a different kind of bat. Maybe it's an axe handle, maybe one that flares a little bit more, uh, that, that uh, is better suited for their swing. And you might see a lot of guys changing their bats and having a much better performance because of it, even though their whole career they've probably been using one bat. Hey, I know this feels good to me, but the technology and, and science might be saying, hey, you might be a little bit more comfortable and might be a little bit more better off. Uh, using a different type of uh, of a bat and a different type of weight, and that that Marucci facility in Louisiana, uh, they're they're on the cutting edge of that kind of technology.
1: Uh, apparently, they are now. I would imagine that other bat companies do something similar. I know a lot of people have visited the Louisville Slugger facility. I don't know if there's that uh, Performance Institute that's um, hooked up with all those. I, you know, I, and I know people that work for Louisville Slugger and Wilson and and, and those other things. What I liked about what Gritchick did is that, you know, he had heard other players doing It's it like, hey, this is a way to get better. If it works, it works. If it doesn't, that's fine. But um, it, you're you're always trying to find ways to be better. Um, this is a very strong young man, uh, Randall Gritchick is, um, one of the strongest guys in baseball for his size. I mean, you'd like to see a pound-for-pound contest to see where he'd fit in there. But... He hit the ball pretty hard last season, but he hit it on the ground a lot. Yeah, I mean, you know, the, the, a lot of worms died coming <laughs> off, with balls coming off his bat, but he talked about it all season. If I can just find a way to get the ball into the air, and I think this may be part of it. The, the weight throughout the bat, that was one of the things he and I talked about um, at length, that the, the um, distribution of the weight, he feels like it works for him now. So he's hoping that his natural swing, he's not trying to change his swing. Right. He's just trying to make sure that he has all the tools in the right place. He makes sure that physically, he's the guy that he needs to be and let the rest of it take care of itself. Where you get into trouble is if you're hitting balls on the ground, then you hear that really bad hitting advice, just hit the ball in the air. So you end up uppercutting and trying to force a launch, a launch angle which costs you the upper part of the zone. So you don't want to fall into that trap. So it looks like he's doing something that's smart here. We'll see how it works out in the season. Because let's face it, no matter what you do, there's a pitcher out there who's paid to get you out, and he's going to try to find a way.
0: Yeah, seven out of (laughs) ten times you're going to make it out. Uh, And that's actually if you're if you're really good, if you're talented. Yeah, it's uh, it's a difficult sport. Do you? I I wanted to ask you too. uh, Again, you've been doing this for a while, but come from West Virginia, not not a big league town. Do you still have moments on the job, either at the ballpark or whatever, where you just kind of pause and, and you just take a moment in and go, this is great. This is baseball. This is professional sports. Yeah, I'm blessed. Like, do, you, do you have those moments? You still Maybe they don't come as frequently, but do you have that where you go, hey, this is pretty cool?
1: Well, I do have those moments, but I have more moments where I've been hanging around a baseball field since I was 18. Well, I grew up playing a little bit, then I went to football more as a, as a youth and through high school. But my senior year of high school, I had the opportunity to actually write a little bit for my local paper. My first articles were on baseball, and I always felt like because I wasn't that kid that studied the box scores, I couldn't mm-hmm. tell you about the stats. Um, I knew something about the history because I knew the players, but it was more from from a visual perspective. I knew how guys swung... I knew how guys pitched. I knew things people did in the field. But I always felt like I needed to learn more. So you go to the ballpark and you do things to try to learn more. So, yeah, it's, it's a great place to be, but you always have to step back and remind yourself you don't know everything. Mm-hmm. And that's something that I think at times in our business, it's changed a bit. Um, your editors and your readers want to hear your expertise. Guess what? Guess what? you may need to ask some questions before you throw the expertise out there. So that's what excites me about the job that I have.
0: You're going to learn something new every day.
1: Yeah, you learn yeah. something new. You're always watching. You're always listening. You um, you think you know something. That is the most dangerous place to be, and I've been there before. When you think you know something and you turn around and write something and you have, and, and maybe you miss something, there are things that we miss because we weren't in the uniform down there, but... Our training should teach us to find out those things.
0: That's a great advice for, for anyone almost in, in any field. When when I taught, you know, I'd always like say to my students, Hey, how many of you heard there's no such thing as a dumb question? And most of them say, Oh, yeah, there's no such and I go, That's actually not true. There is such a thing as a dumb question. It's the one you don't ask. And so kind of to your point, like, you know what, I, I'm gonna follow up. Hey, uh, you know, what's going on? What what are you looking for in that bat, Randall? Uh, you know, when, when, you're, uh, when, when you're selecting, when you're at the, the, the factory, at the plant, like, you know, what kind of distribution are you looking for? And it starts a conversation and sparks, like you said, and you learn something. So being open to that and asking those questions, I think that's great advice for, uh, for anyone, you know, trying to get in this industry.
1: I would agree as long as you don't show up with these preconceived things. And a lot yeah. of times you'll see folks. Well, baseball's been doing it wrong for all these years. You see this in, these, in, 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 in the stat business, and what you're finding is that the teams that are better at incorporating um, advanced stats mm. into baseball are the teams that have people that actually have communication skills with coaches and players. It's not that you know, something comes out of a computer and you throw it on the desk and say, hey, go do this. Now you've got to figure out, okay, How do you help this player understand how this works for him? How do you mold your numbers to that player? Because you know what? If you looked at Barry Bonds and his launch angle and everything else and handed that to me, how many home runs am I going to hit? Like zero, right? (laughs) Two or three. Two or three. No, no. no. It's not. (laughs) I mean, if they let me hit the ball four times, yes. So you've got to understand who you're working with. It's, It's a people business still.
0: Yeah, yeah, no, that's uh, that's a great way of putting about it, putting it, communicating. It's like the PSA. Sure, we know uh, what's good and maybe what's bad in society, but to have a really good PSA out there, and people might not really take it to heart. Like, hey, I probably should be wearing a seatbelt, and hey, drugs are bad for my brain, uh, and I like how eggs taste. So you know, uh, I think all of this makes sense. But uh, what really makes sense is Game Time Tickets. That's the app where you can get up to sixty percent off. The face value of a ticket, especially if you wait. There's an event tonight. I don't know if uh, if your son, Everett, right? Yes. If he's going to AEW tonight in Broomfield, has he got tickets? There's a he show tonight. Not,
1: he's oh, he's working. I'm gonna have to tell him about it. Maybe he can uh, rearrange his schedule.
0: Well, maybe? And I'll I'll be looking on Game Time <laughs> tickets, see if I can scoop something up because they always have really good deals. And again, if you wait to the about an hour before an event goes on. Uh, you can get some cheap seats. I'll 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 text you to see if I can get those. We'll <laughs> we'll go together. We'll carpool. Figured I don't want to go totally by myself. But I want to go to an event and I don't want to pay a lot for it. I want to get some good seats. Uh, if it's a football game, fifty yard line concert, to be down on the floor, whatever it is, game time tickets uh, is the way to go. Fifteen million folks have uh, used it and loved it, including myself. I've I've done it before. Fifteen dollars for a show at Red Rocks about 10 years ago. Like that's what Game Time Tickets uh, is able to do. Hit the link in our description to save for that. It's a great way to go. And Pins and Aces, Colorado company, man, it's great. They are our golf apparel partner. Uh, We love them. We get tons of compliments on and off the course. I love they got the Rockies colorway broncos nuggets abs they got a, re- a lot of really good things they also have the beer sleeve and the seltzer sleeve so you can uh sneak uh if you want to say uh <laughs> seven of those cans in your golf bag it looks like a golf club hey you know what have fun out on the golf course do what you got to do with the beer sleeve they're making polos hats uh, golf bags it's fantastic. It's pinsandaces.com, and make sure that you use code DNVR to receive fifteen percent off your first order and get free shipping. That's pinsandaces.com. One of the best pieces of news, or or best things that have evolved in the past year for the Rockies, that we were all kind of hoping the young guys in the system, you know, pretty much low A and below, would take a step forward, and virtually all of them did. So much so. Uh, that we saw the Rockies here go from the 24th best farm system according to MLB Pipeline to now the ninth best system on MLB Pipeline, the biggest jump of any team in all of MLB. That was wonderful to see Uh, everything kind of come to fruition as they really hoped.
1: You know, when you're talking about the, what list were you on, the naughty list, the nice list? Yeah. In baseball, you want to be on the prospect list if you haven't made the majors. So (laughs) yeah, If if you look at the system, There's been a pretty good buildup of hitters, Mm. offensive players. Something I wrote about in a newsletter recently. One of the things the Rockies did, they were behind the other teams in the Latin American program in that they had one team, other teams had multiple teams. Putting two teams there with the scouting that the Rockies have, and if you go back to some of the good teams of the past, they were almost literally called Venezuela's team. You know, they had a lot of Venezuelan players, mm-hmm. um, they, and they worked them through the academy in the Dominican Republic. Rockies have rebuilt that, not just Venezuela, but more Dominican Republic. But, uh, of course, Venezuelan, um, the, you know, the young shortstop Ezekiel Tovar. Mm-hmm. Um, you, look at, you look at that prospect system, and there are a lot of position players out of there. They've done a pretty good job of drafting some power hitters. Um, the, they usually use the upper part of the draft to draft um, power-type hitters out of college. I thought that this year's draft was really good, and the last few drafts mm. have been good. I mean, a couple of their best prospects are high school hitters. Zach Veen, a high school hitter, which if you have a high school hitter in the top 10, usually you're looking at a pretty darn good player. Yeah. Um, Benny Montgomery, who I think is number six on the list now, another high school guy. So. It looks like they're doing a good job of putting together hitters. Where the prospect list is a little weak is in pitching. They do spend a lot of time drafting and signing pitchers. I I think most of the draft was college pitchers this year. Most of past drafts have been. But if you look at why the pitchers aren't ranking as high, it's cause of injuries. I mean, obviously, um, Ryan Rollison, number one pick in 2018, didn't pitch at all last season. Peter Lambert, who really is off the prospect list, he's a major league player, but he hasn't really pitched since 2019.
0: Still, only 25 years old, so he's yeah, young.
1: But he's still young. He was a high school draft pick. He's coming along. But um, a guy I wrote about the other day, Jaden Hill, he had an elbow injury at LSU. They drafted him anyhow, believing they could rehab him and get him there. Chris McMahon, mm-hmm. um, um, it just um, uh, Weatherly, Sam Weatherly, Sam yeah. Weatherly out of Clemson. I mean. These are guys that have really good arms, but have dealt with little nagging things. Other than Hill, who had Tommy John surgery before he joined the Rocky system, you're not seeing the blowouts, but their progress has been slowed. What happens if those guys get healthy and and they advance? And I think that um, that's, that's something we're going to be looking at a lot. I mean, there are a few pitchers in the system that are moving. One guy here locally, Case Williams. Yeah. Yeah, from Douglas County High School. I mean, he really made a jump this year. Was traded to the Reds under um, Jeff Breidich, brought back by Bill Schmidt, who drafted him in the first place, Mm -hmm. and he's moving up. I mean, and it it seems like there are some decent stories as far as pitching is concerned, but you haven't seen those super prospects like a Zach Veen, like an Ezekiel Tovar on the pitching side. So... They've got to find a way to get the pitchers better, but I do think that um, when you talk about the hitters, um, also some catchers there. Drew Romo, another high school um, guy. Yeah, another yeah. high school guy. Yeah, he he he's highly regarded there. They're building some position players right now.
0: Yeah, yeah. There's still a lot of potential, as you said, with those uh, with those young pitchers uh, who just 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 have to stay healthy. And uh, we talked to Chris Forbes there at the winter meetings and. You know, I, I asked him point blank. I said, do you think Gabriel Hughes is going to move quickly through the system? He said, yeah. So uh, he could be someone that, you know, again, he's already a, a top 10 prospect right now in the organization pretty much uh, uh, on just about everybody's list. So he's a guy that and he was the could top out pick sooner. out
1: of Gonzaga last year. Um, very aggressive fellow threw a lot of pitches for them. Um, and, but he got into the system, got his feet wet in pro ball.
0: Yeah, got some, got a postseason start even too <laughs> with right. uh, with the Fresno Grizzlies. I mean, that entire Fresno Grizzly team uh, was was absolutely loaded. So yeah, the farm system is uh, definitely on the uh, on the up and up and uh, very exciting as they uh, those guys slowly come through and uh, and we wait for Zach Veen and Drew Romo and Benny Montgomery. I mean, next summer Veen. I mean, it's gonna happen. We we uh, we've we've got a uh, uh, Veenometer. Venometer, meter, if yeah. you will, to keep track of yeah. Zach Veen. 21% chance right now he's on the opening day roster. So we got a long way to go, but we're trying to help build the hype. It's, it's unlikely. It's only 21%, but every day. Can you, can you give us a little nugget so we can bump it up to 22, 23, 25% You're maybe? About the
1: opening day roster. The opening the day year? roster. Thomas, the, the, come on. The, the, Humor us. It was. Humor us. We're
0: at 21%. 21% chance. He's going to be shocking roster. to me.
1: That's shocking to me. He's, come on. Get come it, on.
0: Get us to bump no, it up.
1: Well, but because when I'm looking at Zach Veen, I'm <laughs> looking at does Zach Veen debut in the majors this season? Absolutely. And at some point. Yeah. You, one, one would hope that he does. I, he, a, a lot of times, Double A is the place. Now, what they did last year, <coughs> excuse me, <clears throat> what they did last year was brought him up to double A, let him finish the season, yeah. let him get his butt kicked a little bit.
0: Yeah, he did. Because
1: <laughs> what usually happens is that's the place that you start getting some failure. Yeah. But if you get through that, then you quicken your path to the major leagues. So I do expect him in the major leagues before the end of the season. I'm hoping that some of the stuff that happened in double A, some of the Tough pitching he faced, he learned. Certainly, when he went to the Arizona Fall League, among all the top prospects in baseball, and he was the top offensive player of that league, that says something because that's a league that Nolan Arenado was MVP of the year that Mike Trout played in it,
0: and the year before he debuted, right? It was <coughs> Yeah, 2012.
1: Yeah, so you're looking for, you you you're looking for something out of out out of a young player, and it looks like he's moving in that right direction.
0: All right, so. I'm hearing you correctly, Thomas, Nolan Arenado, MVP of the Arizona Fall League in 2012, debuts in 2013. Zach Veen, similar pedigree. I think we can bump the lineup to 22%. There's now a 22% chance Zach Veen will be on the opening day roster. Thomas, thank you for your service. We appreciate that. Uh, let's talk about a little passion project.
1: Right. Not a side hustle, a passion project. That sounds good, passion project. That almost uh, sounds like something on a soap opera. But, this but, is my passion project. Before, before we get
0: into some of the, uh, the uniforms and, and logos that you've designed, um, where, where did this passion come from? I mean, you're, you're into all things sports. That's the thing, is that it's not just one area that you focus on. All minutiae of everything you love, but where did particularly your love of, of uniforms and, and design you know originate?
1: Well, actually, I, it goes back to when I was really a little kid. Sure. And... I figured out in first grade that they gave us way too much time to do our stuff. (laughs) So I could do whatever schoolwork, then turn over my paper and draw something. Whether it was the Steelers or the goalie of the Penguins or different goalies or whatever. And so there was always this little art thing that is totally untrained but fun that, that I've always done when I wasn't playing. And that stuck with me, but then... You know, from my very first uniforms, I think of, uh, you know, I always thought of how these could be better. I remember they gave our, our first uniform, which looking back was beautiful. It was a wool flannel, um, white with gray pinstripes, Ooh. and green and white trim, kind of like the Red Sox. But, you know, I was thinking, hey, the pros have double knits. When are we going to get them? I'm asking the coach's son, and I say, I heard a rumor. And he's like, that's never happening. But, <laughs> so those things have just always stuck with me. And one of the weird things, I've told a few people about this, I think it was you, you got those catalogs, Sears, J.C. JCPenney. Yeah. You could order a full uni- football uniform from them. Wow. But what I would do is I would say, okay, you know, I'm done with my work in school. I would remember what those were and I would draw these teams playing against each other. And then I developed my own from there. So that's Mm -hmm. kind of what happened. I'm, I made up an entire rival baseball league. There were teams in Buffalo and Miami and Charlotte. I love that. That's amazing. For my generation,
0: it was the East Bay catalog where it had all the different teams and stuff. And I, I just saw this on Twitter the East Bay catalog is going away like the company's oh, that's folding. So sad. Yeah. Which is which is so sad. So
1: and, and the other thing that happened, yeah, and I cannot believe I did this. I was <laughs> in middle junior high back then, middle school. And I was looking through the NFL and I had no affinity for the Atlanta Falcons. But they needed a new uniform. So I actually drew one, the home, the road, and I sent it to the team. And I get back a letter. A guy named Charlie Dayton
0: wow. was
1: their PR director. And he's like, we are contemplating changing our uniform for the next season. <laughs> and I was like, yes, yes, yes. In fact, I don't think I ever got anywhere with that. And frankly, nowadays, if you send something to a team, or at least I was told this when I was covering the NFL, they ask teams not to open it because they're afraid of getting sued for copyright infringement. Yeah. But I remember there was one prototype of the Falcons that's somewhere online. It was a white helmet. And I imagined a white helmet for them. Wow. Now, it wasn't the same. I think there was more black in that. Like, the logo was black. A couple of, More stripes were black than red. I went more red. But I'm like, wow, mm. maybe they actually looked at it. But, yeah, so I kind of fooled around with that. I fooled around in college. I had to redraw our our logo at St. Ambrose College at the time in Davenport, Iowa. And then a few years ago, it started showing up on their football helmets. They They had me redraw it because... They just wanted it to look a little bit better when they um, put it on gear. Sharper, so, yeah. Yeah, so, so I guess I've always fooled around with stuff like that and been interested in uniforms and things like what that. What was the nickname? Home of the fighting? The fighting bees. The at the fight- th- no, at the time, they <laughs> were the bees. Oh, okay. And it goes back to St. Ambrose himself was a great orator. And they said that when he was a baby, well, his words were so sweet. The legend was when he was a baby, bees flew in and out of his mouth because he was such as his words were so sweet but anyhow we had this basketball coach named dean brunson i've lost track of him i thought he was maybe um coaching like travel girls basketball now in phoenix Mm. but i'm not sure but anyhow he liked adding adjectives to names so suddenly he hands me this b that i think was from champion or one of the sporting goods companies and the bees wearing boxing gloves, and he's like, "We're going to be the fighting bees." Can you clean this up a little bit? At the time, for some reason, we wore red, white, and blue. I've never seen a red, white, and blue bee. The actual <laughs> official colors are blue and white, which is a stretch enough. But I redid it just to make it look a little bit easier. It wasn't exactly original artwork, so I guess that that's where that was the first one that I put something on paper and boom, it shows up.
0: Wow, and there's there's a lot. There's, there's a chance if you're watching this, you may have seen one of Thomas's uniforms in action. Uh, let's take the Boulder Collegians one. Again, uh, team, I was an assistant GM for for uh, a period of time, and we were kicking around uh, doing some uniforms. We actually had a couple uh, ideas uh, mocked up from uh, Jesse Alkire, who, uh, if you remember, you know did the, those uniforms about six years ago uh, with a rebrand, including some uh, green in it. Uh, instead of pinstripes, it was uh, a topography map so they had the waves on it. Uh, those are beautiful. But the job that you did, really clean, really classic um, from the Boulder Collegians. And then you did a, a really nice job with uh, the Academy uh, in Westminster. Their their softball uniforms. About like five or six different variations we can see here well, uh, on, on uh, the DVR Sports Channel. I'll have to
1: channel. say, though, RJ Sanchez, their coach, and this team went to the playoffs this year. I was very yeah. proud of them. But no, he, um, he had worked with Mark Knutson. I would helped Knutson on another project And he's like, sure, let me take your design ideas. But if you look at those um, girls' softball players at the end, I was going back and forth about pinstripes and a couple of other things, so I turned in some basic designs. The girls themselves came up with some great ideas. And so it was like... What all these things are, if you look at any kind of uniform, it's, it's a collaboration, like uh, with the, with the uh, collegians. Um, at the time, at first, Mark Knudsen was involved. Tony Ruco is their coach. Mm-hmm. We went back and forth. And there's a gentleman I like to throw out his name there, Ryan Phipps. At, um, and it's at Athletic Lettering. It's, uh, it, it's not far from here. Um, but they do a lot of stuff for the local schools. And he takes a lot of the designs. And makes them work. Mm. He is amazing. Ryan Phipps, um, his dad actually quarterbacked the NFL, uh, Mike Phipps, and he was a wide receiver himself at Purdue. So he knows what you want on the field. So, yeah, we, so we've all worked together on those. And um, everything is kind of a collaboration. I think that with Knutson at Prospect Ridge Academy, you showed that earlier. He had an assistant coach there. He was no longer there, but we all sat and had a meeting in Subway, and all the, des- <laughs> all the design ideas ended up on a jersey. And um, the, the other one, have you um, shown the uh, cutthroats?
0: Not yet, but uh, I, I will say that you have a jersey. If you go back to that uh, last Prospect Ridge uh, uh, image there, uh, a collage, your uniform has appeared at Coors Field, so I mean, that's Thomas, right. That is beautiful. There you yes. go. Now, that, that's a good that's trick question out day. there. Yes.
1: Yeah. So you know, I, and, and I throw stuff out there. I mean, this is not a profession by any stretch of the imagination. I'm actually just trying to learn as I go. I mean, a lot of the stuff you do on the computer, I'm not as adept at it. Right. I've got a program that really is so basic, it's old, whatever. But I can get close with that, and I'm learning some of the other things. And guys like Ryan are helping me. Um, so yeah, it's 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 a fun thing to do. I'm hoping to do a few things um, coming up. There's a basketball team I'm, I'm I'm helping out. Hopefully a baseball team, and we'll see what happens with football helmets. That's kind of the, the next that's step. kind of the ultimate for me. So yeah, well, are actually doing samples at home with mini helmets and. Who knows what will happen there?
0: Well, we were texting back and forth about like all the different specifics where, again, you can design whatever you want, but then can that design actually, you know, go on a jersey? Will it not look too clunky in the, the various fonts? I mean, you, you schooled me to the, the fact that Seattle Mariners have a, a weird font that doesn't always work with different things. But yeah, let's see like that Colorado Cutthroats uniform super sharp men's league, uh, around here right. in Kyle Colorado Newman,
1: the sports writer, of the Denver post right. that, that team is really good. In they the are men's leagues. Yeah. But yes, um, they, they, they had a red and green, they wanted something and hopefully they have a play. Um, they're, they're talking about a plan for the future. So it's a, it's a good situation.
0: Yeah. Yeah. The red and the green here, uh, definitely pop for the cutthroat. So, uh, we'll we'll have to keep our eye out for that, and uh, we'll have to get you on retainer if we get a softball team. <laughs> I mean, we we'll, we'll have you work with D Line Co. because I'm sure he, he's got some uh, ideas of his own. But as you said, with the academy at Westminster, uh, it's a collaborative thing. You you need you need all parties to be uh, working on something
1: like well, that. Well, I was to, very interested when you guys had Todd Radom on here. And yes, uh, he and I and and Chris Creamer, who mm. is actually the design guy with the NHL, but he, he also does sportslogos.net. Yeah. I remember we met at a winter meetings. They actually, through a friend, kind of arranged for me to come down and have um, drinks or a late-night dessert or whatever, and we just sat there talking about these things. Oh, my God. And, and that was kind of a great career moment where they said, you're one of us because you're interested oh, in nice. these things. Yes. But, um, you know, like, <laughs> and, and, and the thing is, I'm asking a lot of questions. And learning more about it. I don't think I'm the expert. I mean, I'm really interested to see what happens with the talk of the Broncos redesign. And I think I've sent you some things about the current design that they have that, yeah, okay, it's gotten old for a lot of people and a lot of people didn't like it from the beginning. But man, the effort that went into that is amazing. It's absolutely amazing. Just the different things that they thought of, including the thing that actually... Gets me going and I meant to bring one here not not one of their uniforms But that little side stripe on the uniform. Yes. Um, first of all, I remember Companies would always tell you when I was in college. We can't put a logo or a design on a on a seam. They were able to do that But the reason why that is there and a lot of people thought grossly incorrectly that was a Nike swoosh I mean if you look at a Nike swoosh you put that there you lay the Broncos player down it's It's way different. It's not a Nike swoosh. But a lot of linemen, and this goes back to the 70s with the Steelers where the wife of the offensive line coach would sew the sleeves so that the opponents could not grab them. So they put elastic in the sleeves. Um, By that era, what a lot of linemen were doing, I have one from the Canadian Football League, they were cutting their uniform up the side and then either just sewing it over or putting string or ropes, tying it up to make it tighter, all the way up to the underarm. What the problem What the problem with the NFL uniforms was if a lineman like raised his arms a bit, there was a little bit of bagginess someone yeah. could grab. The designers of that Broncos uniform, by putting that stripe up the side, corrected that problem, and you don't see that anymore. I mean, so really, they put a lot of effort into this that... Um, things that you don't think of when you're just watching on TV and you're wondering, oh, what happened sure. to the D with the blowing, sneezing Bronco? What happened to that? But um, uh, there, there, a lot of things went into that.
0: Yeah, it's revolutionary at, at, at that time. Yeah, it was good. Did you, did you like the City Connect uniforms? I did. I loved it. I, I like the green. I, I, I thought they it. were great.
1: Yeah, and, and I know they went back and forth about the green pants. But the final decision, I talked to Mike Panarelli, the... Um, yeah. The, the, the clubhouse guy there, and the, the decisions were made up, uh, above the field level. And it seemed like, from, what, from my understanding, was basically what teams wanted to do was get away from their usual color palette. Sure. And it seemed like immediately they decided that the Colorado license plate would work. And I thought that was an ingenious plan. I thought so too. I thought it was I an outstanding it. plan, especially with the typography of the Colorado and the numbers. You had a lot of design on the uniform, but it was especially the front of the uniform was very legible. So, but the big question was, what about the pants? (laughs) Now, there are people who would say, "Oh, it doesn't look like baseball." The the insult that's thrown out there that I really hate. Oh, it looks like girls' softball. Guess what? A lot of those softball uniforms look a lot better than baseball uniforms, but. The reason why they went with the green was if you're going to get away from your color palette and do something creative, then you almost have to do that. They could yeah. have used their usual white pants with a purple stripe down the side sure. and maybe gone with a green belt or something. But I think that would have been a little bit lazy. Yeah. So just don't have effort, to ask it. Yeah. The effort that these teams put into it, like the Milwaukee Brewers, you know, mm-hmm. they they had this. Um, Bright, light blue. The jersey was beautiful. They did the grilling and other things. You, However (laughs) you feel about that, that's fine. But for the helmets to match, rather than order a whole new set of helmets, their equipment manager found a peel-off paint. They literally just spray the paint on the night before. They wear it that day. They peel the paint off, and the player doesn't have to worry about, do I have the right helmet? It's like there's just a lot of good thinking that's going on, and I think what's happening is Nike being involved with, with baseball, like they've done with basketball. It seems like you see a whole lot of different uniforms. You, maybe each team is around seven or eight. I don't know the baseball is going to get there. Yeah. Um, but I kind of like the fact that, hey, just because one thing looked one way For 100 years does not mean it has to look that way every day and what they're doing is it's not a permanent uniform so if you don't like the the gold jersey of the boston red sox (laughs) in honor of the boston marathon well just tune in tomorrow and they'll be back in red white and blue
0: yeah yeah i think all the teams that really thought outside the box a little bit and went away from their typical colors like those those look the best originally i didn't like those red sox unis because I thought, oh, it's not red, it's not navy. There's not even green in it for the green monster. But then, as it you know continued to evolve and more teams came out, I, I realized, oh, that that really wasn't the point of this whole thing. And so the teams that were more u- unique, you know, um, the the Marlins ones, going back with the uh, the Havana uh, Sugar King uniforms, right. like those ones looked the best. The White Sox were the only ones that kind of stayed similar, but it looked sharp. Other than that, the teams that were just different, and the Rockies were one of them, I think nationwide, those, those are in the top five. Those are the best ones for City Connect, the, the unique
1: ones. I agree. I mean, and I think that they did borrow from basketball. I mean, look at the Nuggets with that flat irons red. That's nothing like their usual uniform, yeah. but it fits, and it fits Denver. And, that's, and I think that Colorado, that license plate, I mean, I go back to, I was... Um, early 80s maybe, and in my hometown, one of the uh, sportscasters was from Colorado, and mm-hmm. I saw his car, and I saw that license plate <laughs> with the i of like, Iconic. this is a cool license plate. Why not do that for the Rockies? Why I, not throw some other colors out there? I wouldn't mind even another one, although um, ba- baseball right now, because of the change in things, they really want to limit the number of uniforms, which is why you don't see the black sleeveless In fact, you see no sleeveless in baseball right now. I have a feeling yeah. that those will come back as a, um, as a throwback at some point. But you, when, when you change your contract and maybe one group is producing all of the uniforms, it is really hard to do different cuts. So work off the same template, but do fun stuff with it.
0: What, what was the color? You're going to say there's another color that you, that you think could possibly be implemented in a Rockies uniform. Were you going to say that? We're you going to throw in a lavender maybe?
1: You know what? That's something that, and maybe one of the high school teams thought about this. I think the color is more lilac. I think there was one high school team that talked about a lilac road uniform. Because if you look at it, it's a slight variation on a gray road uniform. I would love to see that as a road uniform or even as a home uniform jersey with a white pant. Go back and look at Kansas State. I think they've gone back to it. Where there's this lilac lavender jersey with dark purple pants that they've used. I mean, you know, something like that. I could live with that. I, 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 I would think that would be that would be fun every now and then.
0: I'd be down for some lilackies. Let's go, Colorado lilackies. That's right. Let's make it happen. Uh, hey, man, Thomas, this has been fantastic. Uh, plug away. I mean, at Harding on Underscore. MLB.
1: Uh, boy, underscores. Yeah, go I, ahead. Think every, I think every <laughs> Thomas Harding was taken and my gosh, I'm not going to say I hate Twitter here. I'm not going to say <laughs> that, but it's at Harding underscore at spelled out underscore MLB. There you go. Or just put my name in there and my smiling face will show up at some point.
0: You'll find it. Yeah. MLB.com. I mean, all the great <clears throat> Rockies content. It's, it's fantastic. When are you going to have like a daily or weekly or even monthly podcast? When, when is that going to happen? You're a great orator. You're very entertaining. You do the videos, too, on MLB.com. You used to, right? MLB used to have that for the Rockies. Uh, yeah, be
1: we, we've done a number of different things on the MLB side. And, you know, if you, if you have a lot of money and you have a product and you want to call me, then I guess we could work it out. Actually, you know what's funny about it is I like doing the videos and things like that. But the main job of writing is still the main job, yeah. you know? people still want to know what happened with their team or people want to know what's going to happen or people want to know why this happened on this given day. Or when something happens, they want to be able to look and say, did so-and-so, whether it's myself or one of the other writers, give us something to let us know that this makes sense. Yeah. And that's kind of what I really enjoy.
0: All right. We'll we'll have my people call your people. We'll see if we can make this a little more, Frequent of a thing, because uh, it was it was a lot of fun. We're having a lot more fun. Uh, still on Twitter, at DNVR underscore Rockies. At Patrick D. Lyons is where I can be found on Twitter. Thomas, this has been very fun. Uh, we've got a lot of, I feel like we have a lot of momentum, but unfortunately, you know what they say about momentum? It's only as good as your next podcast. <laughs> so we'll talk to you tomorrow at 11 a.m. on the DNVR Sports Channel on YouTube.